The Triathlon Show, 342. Everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Jody Swallow Kunema. Jody is a triathlon coach and a retired professional triathlete. As an athlete, she went to the Olympics in Athens in 2004, and she has three world championship titles to her name, including one 713 world title and two ITU long distance titles. As a coach, uh, Jody now coaches a mix of amateur and professional athletes, including, for example, Jody Stimson on the professional side. We'll get right into the interview after thanking our sponsors. First, we have Precision Fuel and Hydration uh, that have a range of tools and products that you can use to help personalize your fueling and hydration strategy so that you can perform at your best. There are some new and exciting products that I want to talk about today. First, there's the Precision Fuel 90 gel, which is uh, affectionately known as the Jumbo Gel. It has 90 grams of carbohydrate, as the name implies, and it has a resealable cap. So this is a great product for carrying efficiency because even one or a couple of these uh, these big gels go a pretty long way, even for a long workout. The other new product is the PF30 Chew, which, as the name suggests, is a chew which each, where each package contains 30 grams of carbohydrates. And you can get it either in the original flavor, which is a mild and neutral one, or in a mint and lemon flavor. These chews are great options uh, to and alternatives to gels or sports drinks, especially during longer workouts at slightly lower intensities, as they can feel a bit more satiating and satisfying than gels and sports drinks. Each chew package, as I said, contains 30 grams of carbohydrate, because as always with precision fuel products, one of the main objectives is that it should be easy for you to hit your target numbers. So all products are 30 grams of carbohydrate or multiples of 30 grams. As a listener of the show, you can get 15% off your first order of fueling and hydration products by using the code TTS22 at checkout on precisionfuelandhydration.com. And thank you to Roka. When Roka got started in 2011, the challenge they set out to solve was to create the world's fastest wetsuit. The result of that in its current iteration is the Maverick X2, which is the Roka's flagship wetsuit model. Ten years later, in 2021, they set themselves a different challenge, which was to take the extremely high standards of their wetsuits and the key features of the Maverick X2 and create a very budget-friendly wetsuit that doesn't compromise those standards and incorporates as much as possible of the key features of the flagship models. The result of that is the Roka Maverick wetsuit. At $275, US it is an entry-level option price-wise, but in terms of quality, it does not play in the entry-level leagues. It has top-quality engineering, design and materials, classic Roka features such as arms-up technology, patented centerline buoyancy for a better and snappier rotation, Yanomoto neoprene, quick-release ankles, and more. You can read all about the wetsuit on roca.com and visit roca.com forward slash TTS for 20% off your entire Roca order. Now, without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Jody Swallow Kunama. Welcome to the Triathlon Show, Jody. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Um, yeah, just enjoying the sunshine in the winter in, in Britain, which is very rare. Yeah, well, the spring is approaching, so so hopefully you don't have to endure winter too much longer. Uh, can you, for those listeners that might not be familiar with you, introduce yourself and and tell us a bit more about yourself and your background? Um, yeah, I am Jodie Swallow. Um, I have been around in the world of triathlon since the year 2000, where I was a bit of a precocious um, junior in the 
British Triathlon System. Um, I, st- I stuck with ITU till about the Beijing Olympics. Um, I went to Athens. Was um, I was deemed before that um, in pre-selection to be quite a talent, and then I got injured, and it all was a disaster. So um, the four years after that, I had personal problems, and it just didn't work out. I was on the realms of quitting triathlon, and then um, on a a personal email from a good friend, um, actually Annie Emerson, who's still in triathlon. Um, I just went on a tip and I emailed Brett Sutton. Um, and from that point um, in 2010, I um, I took on long-distance triathlon. Um, I won some world titles. Um, and, and by 2014, I was probably one of the best 70.3 athletes in the world um, for a couple of years until I fell pregnant in 2017, having married my um long time long-term partner James Cunema also a pro triathlete and we had some babies we've got three under four now um and I went into coaching um I have been coaching since sort of 2015 but I got more serious um when I definitely retired after having my twins a couple of years ago so now I coach a number of um age group um and pro triathletes predominantly online with um, some physical meetups occasionally. Um, and I'm looking to kind of expand that and, and develop a elite squad in the coming years down here in Bath. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the world titles you mentioned, I, I think you have two ITU long distance world titles and you have one Ironman 7.3 world title. Did I get that right? Yeah, you did. Yeah. 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 And, uh, what and Mikona, I think you've been fourth, or was that right? I think I should yeah. have right, right. Before. No, I was fourth in 2014 in Kona. Um, yeah, my best shot. It wasn't really a race built for, for me, um, but I, I think that was my best result I could have got on the day and possibly in a career um, at the time. <laughs> now, as a coach, I look back and think, oh, yeah, definitely you could have gone better. But um, at the time, it was it was a pretty ideal year for me. and. Um, yeah, Kona's Kona's a different um, a different race, and you know it suits some people and it doesn't suit others. But we did the best we could. Yeah, well, uh, let's get into coaching because that's what uh, this podcast is is about. Uh, not so much the uh, the athletic stories, but the the training and the education and the coaching. So, so can you just give us an overview of what your coaching methodology is like? Yeah. Um, this is a question that I've come back to time and time again in the past kind of year when before that I just coached um, intuitively and I didn't really have a word to describe it. Um, it's a very individual approach. None of my athletes have the same program and it varies day to day. So I, I respond to um, each day with all my athletes, my age group athletes and my elite athletes um, to to prescribe the next day. Um, I am quite intuitive right I base everything on science I understand the science I've got a sports science degree Um, but I also I also create personal relationships with my athletes um, and and, and enjoy um, putting through the art of coaching um, beside that so the board base is scientific the the program's based on science but the adaptions are based on conversations and communication and feedback 
Yeah, got it. And uh, since you have been in ITU and then you went to long distance, and I think you were from a swimming background before your triathlon days as well, uh, you've had a bunch of coaches through your career. And Can you talk a little bit about your biggest coaching influences and, and are there any examples that you can think of of things that you've introduced in your coaching based on things that you found from the coaches that you had yourself that hey this is a smart thing to do or this this is a really good methodology yeah I think I've had a variety of coaches and they've all been good in in different ways I I don't think I've ever had like a really bad coach because I would have moved on um they in my early career as a junior swimmer and runner um my running coach was incredibly basic um incredibly kind um and and incredibly intuitive I think that I've take that taken that through and I'd probably say he was maybe not knowledge wise but he was the best coach I've ever had um in terms of motivation and keeping me in the sport um and then my swim coaches were always quite um like dictators um <laughs> just kind of prescriptive and that worked really well for someone that was all over the place in school I was just I, I never stopped I was just constantly um being coached um or at school so yeah that that worked really well in some circumstances and then when I moved into triathlon my coaches um varied greatly I was coached by my husband James Kanama by Siri Lindley and by Brett Sutton and those people are incredibly different people and they um they have very different approaches to coaching but Siri I would definitely say was an incredible psychological coach in terms of motivational um sometimes that had its flaws for me personally but um her positive outlook she's actually gone into motivational speaking now so that that kind of um positive outlook always getting um positives from negatives is something that I definitely draw on occasionally when athletes are going through difficult times and then uh Brett Sutton um he's a he's a funny man um and I'm quite I I still remain in contact with him and and quiz him a few times um maybe a few times a month but I I think with Brett I learned that athletes are physical um physical specimens and you can learn quite a lot from the way they talk to you, the way they communicate and their body language. And whilst I'm not physically with athletes at the moment, I can actually pick that up on training peaks as well in terms of feedback, in terms of silence on WhatsApp and and, and things like that. So um, looking at athletes' behaviour as opposed to their physical numbers often gives you another dimension in terms of their data. So that's what I've learned from that. And I think that's probably something I work on quite heavily um and it's a it's a real talent that i'm trying to develop yeah no, th- those are great examples and uh y- you mentioned there that now as a coach you you have some ideas of what you maybe could have done differently in, uh, as an athlete as well uh can you give an example of of that or a couple of examples if you have if you have some that come to mind yeah i think when you're an athlete you think that you've got the world on your shoulders and that you're on a time limit and that everything's so important in terms of the bigger context but as a coach when I look at my athletes sometimes I want to ring them by the next because they have time um you don't need to move up the rankings as quickly as you think you do um you can work on things slowly and progressively and get there in a few years um I think it's probably influenced quite heavily with 
there's not that much money in pro triathlon um and that when their money comes in I think people want to rush to that money and prove themselves and they're quite um they're not externally motivated but they want to succeed and money reflect the money you win reflects that success I think in in long distance triathlon so I I I just wish that they would have more patience and I know that if I'd had more patience I wouldn't have been injured as much I would have been uh, calmer during um, and after races and I probably would have planned a little bit better um, to the the projects that I undertook and how the seasons and years evolved Um, so yeah I'd take out the I'd keep the passion but I would take out some of the emotion that athletes feel and I, I try to keep everyone a bit more zen than I was yeah yeah that's that's a good answer and and increasing the the amount of patience or understanding of just how much patience it it takes to um to be be great but also have longevity in the sport um and one one thing that you mentioned you you coach both professional and age group athletes how does that compare what what are the key uh, similarities and differences between those two groups um they are quite different age groupers and professionals um and I I definitely feel more affinity to coaching professionals because the the absolute necessity to get it right is is there. You know, their livelihoods depend on the training that you're giving them and how they're executing it. So um there's definitely more um precision that needs to be done, more feedback, and they have more time to do it. A lot of age groupers that I coach have families they have full-time jobs um and when you're putting training into a couple of hours or one hour a day even um then you need to make that hour or two hours count and then move on there's no coming back to it you just have to move on do the best you can in the session and move on and and I with the age group as I tolerate a lot of adaption um because of life um because although triathlon is very important to those people it doesn't dictate them and I think that's the difference with a professional triathlete and an age group triathlon triathlete um age group triathletes are doing it for various motivations but should primarily be to enhance their life their family life their work life their health and um, professional athletes are doing it to be the absolute best that they can be um and will sacrifice and should perhaps sacrifice a lot more other than a difference in a big difference in training volume does that can you can you see those differences in the type of training that you prescribe for age groupers versus professionals yeah uh, definitely um the professionals have a much broader base in terms of aerobic time they spend um because they have a lot more time to do that training Um, and although I try and keep the predominant feature of age group sessions, especially in sort of the base period where we're not building up to a race, it's got to be predominantly aerobic, but it also has to concentrate on technique, um, maintaining FTP, um, some speed session, and and then you've got the three sports as well. So it's quite, it's quite a difficult task actually, um, to each individual I always focus on um 
the things that are going to make the biggest difference in age group triathlon, um, which the athletes that I coach are predominantly doing Ironman and 70.3. So that would be cycling and running, um, having cycled. So swimming um, in the professional ranks is a very important aspect of triathlon because if you are not in the frame after the swim, it's very difficult to become in the frame. Whereas age group triathletes um, maybe don't have the time to create a bigger proportion of advantage from the swim. So I focus far less on the swim um, and they might only swim a couple of times a week if they've only got seven hours to train because just to maintain some swimming fitness and but I can't coach them properly at swimming because there's too much else to do. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, when you take on a new athlete, what are the first things that uh, that you do? I always have an interview. Um, as we're talking now, I, I would video call them um, and get an, a vibe of where they're coming from, their, their lives, um, their backgrounds, their motivations. And then I decide if we'd work very well together or we wouldn't, and they do too. Um, then I ask them a little bit about what training they're doing at the moment, what they've done in the past, and I'll set a couple of very easy aerobic weeks, and then I'll monitor the data on training peaks so that I can start to identify areas that we can work on quickly um, and, and effectively. And then we go from there. Um, it's a very kind of organic process. I don't um, always set fitness tests, although sometimes I am coming into that that area because there's a real kind of push at the moment in terms of age group co coaching that's um it's become very fashionable to know your ftp well possibly because of the pandemic because people have been stuck on turbos and on zwift and they can see their powers going up and down etc so i i do um i adopt that a little bit but i adopt it um depending on how the athlete likes it to be honest um because with the the trends that I've seen in, in coaching is that it's very much roundabouts where I'm at anyway. If you want a figure to quantify it, that's absolutely fine. But um, that's the areas that I'm working on anyway. So it depends if they're, if they're statistical people or if they're just feel people. And it, it, that kind of is influenced quite a lot with gender, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That, that I, I agree with that. And, and, line of work and so on there's yeah. uh, there's definitely a demographic where d there is uh, a desire to have all of the quantitative data that that you can and and uh, yeah sometimes that's that's fine like to to do something even even if you wouldn't do it otherwise just because the athlete gets motivated by it yeah um ha have you observed any trends in what you would typically change compared to how athletes have been training before are there some things that keep coming up that uh, I, I always end up doing these sorts of changes. Athletes always do this and that, and, and I kind of go about changing it when, when I get to know them. Um, yeah, a little, I mean, some of them are coming to me from a break, so not so much. Um, so I don't have the record of what they were doing before. So it's almost like a new a new start for them, and they don't really tell me too much about what their old coaches do, etc. And I don't ask because... Um, because I don't really want to be heavily influenced by what they've done. I just want to do what I do. Um, but I think they tend to neglect um, regular 
consistent blocks of training. Um, so it will be like three weeks of passion and two weeks off and then three weeks hard again and then a two-week break and then a camp. Um, and I think that uh, the thing that I, um, I, I, I really want to get across to age groups like athletes, it's, it's, it's quite a lot about consistency and just getting out there a lot of the time. Um, even if it's half of the session that was prescribed, as long as you start to get out there, then usually um, the momentum can carry on. And it is about momentum when you're pre- preparing for a long race, um, consistency and momentum. So that's something that I see that I try and influence. Yeah. What about on the professional side? I guess there might not be as many trends there because um, it, you probably don't have to convince them about consistency that's probably fairly well established yeah I think um some it depends on the professional that you're coaching um I there's I I coach Jodie Stimpson who's come from an ITU background and is going to long distance so um there's obviously some obvious changes um that in terms of volume in, in terms of bike volume um that I'm bringing in with her but And in terms of the importance of bike output as well, because um, you can't fudge it in, in the longer distances, the bike, whereas in ITU, sometimes you can um, get away with a little bit of um, ne- neglect on the bike. But um, I think, no, they have they have absolute passion in trying to get better. And it's just directing that passion in the right areas and trying to trying to nail down what actually improves you, which is rest and recovery. Um And it, it's easy to pile on work upon work upon work, but it's not really about that. It's about maintaining a level where you where you can maintain that level and not get stale and not get overtrained, and get to a race and produce the goods. If you break down before the race, there's no point in any of it. So I think that's there's quite a lot of pulling the reins in my professional athletes, the ones that I have at the moment, anyway. Um, and yeah, I. I quite enjoy that because that was the type of athlete I was too. I'm sure one day I'll get someone that doesn't want to doesn't want to do it as much as I did, and um, that would be interesting. Yeah. So, so what? That's that's uh, an interesting point that you make there. And um, how how specifically do you uh, do you function in recovery in the, and and get make sure that you get the balance right between recovering and and training uh, in in this example with the professional athletes. They're on different um, periodization sort of cycles. So um, the girls are predominantly longer. They'll do like a four-week block and a week easier. Um, And they'll be begging for their easier block. And then when the easier block comes, um, they'll be asking for more training. So it's just managing that, um, that kind of mix of like messages that you're getting because as soon as you give an athlete rest they want to train um just in the normal psychology of things so um that's what i deal with with jody in particular um the men are do three weeks harder and one week easier just because um i just through through experience um and through people that i've coached um james certainly couldn't sustain the, the longer the longer blocks as well as i could so Um, it's just developmental from that, but it was always changing, um, depending on the athlete and depending on the strengths. Um, 
And then I've got one pro athlete that likes to quiz me about scientific methods and scientific and the latest data and the latest um, podcast and the latest trend in coaching. And yeah, it, it means I have to do some research to answer his questions and make sure that he's taking his rest that I'm giving him. Whereas he's not like following some podcast that says that he should be doing more. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a tricky one uh, for that, that I have with uh, like doing a podcast. But uh, some, sometimes you know there is an expectation that as a coach I'm supposed to implement everything that everybody says on the podcast. But then you have a just a basically a potluck of of advice that doesn't necessarily go well together. So yeah, so you still have to no matter all even if you listen to and and read all the information that's out there, you still have to make a lot of simplifications and put together your own methodology that works yeah, coherently as a model yeah absolutely I mean if you if you listen to anything if you listened to um a, a a speech by Putin at the moment there would be one thing in there that you kind of understand and agree with even though you hate everything that he's done doing um so any podcast that you you listen to or any book that you read or any research that you do, there's going to be one point in there that relates to you and that you understand and that you could implement. It's the choice of whether you choose to implement that or not. And that's, that's the judgment call and that's the coach's job. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then it's also important to consider the opportunity cost. If you implement something, does that mean that you don't implement something else or that you push something else away? And, and what is the, the most beneficial in, at the end of the day so um yeah yeah it's easy to get excited about things you hear and read but uh but it's important to have a bit practice a bit of restraint i guess yeah it's, and, it's restraint and think about things yeah and keep it in perspective like yeah um in terms of the bigger picture yeah uh okay uh so so then let's see where were we okay so i'm going to ask you to give some advice about the different disciplines and how to improve swimming biking and running and and for this example let's or these questions let's take age group athletes for uh, training for half and full distance races as, as the the context so first of all if you want to start with swim training can you give one to two pieces of advice for for that um yeah swim training um you don't neglect technique so especially age groupers if your technique is bad if you can't catch the water properly it will cause you to not improve as much as any fitness training will so you need to get that right you need to speak to someone that knows what they're doing that can help you catch the water properly um, and that is quite a difficult task in itself because there's a lot of people that will give you advice and not all of it is right so you have to pick your person yep uh, what about the bike um, cycling I would Uh, if it's a if it's a I would cycle with other people I think that cycling outside in groups um maintains a good aerobic base usually um and it it's a long time to spend on your own um if you don't have company I think and so I would always say um enjoy the safety of others and and learn from them and ask questions of them and try and create a little um a little training squad so that those miles on the bike Are not as lonely and um, helps you get out in the cold and the wet as well. And uh, the run, um, running, I would 
I would change my tact a little bit. I would say that it's not all about same pace running. It's not just about steady runs. I would start to implement some harder stuff, even if it's just two minute blocks at threshold. Um, start with five of them and then, you know, each week do another one and then eventually you will see your running improving. I think that sometimes it's really easy to stay static on the run by just running steady. And I've seen that a lot in the age group as I coach. They just didn't do run sets. Mm, yeah. Uh, so all of these pieces of advice can obviously also be turned on their head and, and that's kind of a potential mistake, like not doing run sets, for example. But do you have any other things that you would say that like these are some mistakes to avoid or thing, things that you see that that hold people back? Um, so mistakes to avoid on the run? Um, well, in, in general, this, across swim, bike and run. Um, mistakes... Mistakes to avoid in general, I would say, across the triathlon program would be that you're doing a triathlon program. You're not a swimmer, you're not a cyclist, and you're not a runner. You're a triathlete, and therefore um, the sessions have to correspond to each other. You have to have a program that that um, incorporates the effort that you've put into the other disciplines in that week. So you're not trying to... you're it's just so different to doing a run program or a marathon program or, or a half marathon program because that run isn't going to be the same if you've had to cycle three hours the day before. So it would be about triathlon and about triathlon specificity um, rather than your know, single disciplines in terms of in terms of balance and um, intensity um, output across them. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and let's talk a bit about racing. Can can you discuss some most important things that athletes should do uh, and not do when when they're preparing for their race, like or in the in the final kind of not training but race preparation or race ex- execution itself? Is this for um, professionals or age groupers? Well, we can take both. Why don't you start with professionals? Okay, professional. Um, so professionals race for a living. So usually they're quite good at racing, um, which is why they're still professionals. Um, but I think what's important in terms of a big goal lead up is that you don't change too much in the lead up to it and um, put yourself vulnerable in terms of injury so that you actually get to the start line in one piece and get to show off the work that you've done. Um and understand that it's 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 a performance in terms of showing everyone else your work it's not a pressured situation no one else really cares it's actually just about you and about um showing off every single minute of training that you've done um and enjoying it I think that the only thing that would make a professional athlete Um, not perform if they've done the work is pressure and I think that um, with professional triathlon um, you are trying to earn money and you might be short of money or you might have been injured so you put more pressure on yourself and that sometimes means that you begin to make silly little mistakes um, in preparation for races Um, you forget the things that are really important like knowing the course like knowing transition like preparing your nutrition plan um and it all gets covered up by um what she said in the press conference or how fit she looked or um or 
if he's trying to wind you up or this or that. And actually, um, it's quite a simple process. It's just a performance. And if you're prepared, you should be able to execute quite easily if you don't let your head get in the way. Um, and for age group based? One, one, one question on the professionals there. What do you think is the the balance between having your own race plan and also being able to respond and responding to the race dynamics and, and what's what's going on around you, what the others are doing? Yeah, I think um, race plans always, in my experience, don't work. Um, so you think you're going to know what someone's going to do and then that doesn't happen and then someone else does something else and that and they always fall by the wayside and you end up making decisions on the spot in the minute um, that that influence the race. Um, but that's racing and that's the excitement of it, I think. I think if you prepare yourself to make the right decision in that minute of every every minute, you make the right decision at that time and respond, then if it's the wrong decision, the next minute is another minute and you make a different decision. So um, do the best you can in in the moment and then respond the next time and don't hang on to it. That's what I would say in terms of race plans. Um, it's good to have a general idea about how the swim might pan out, who's a good swimmer in the race, um, where you should be around, but it's not in cement um, because all the factors that are affecting you in terms of nerves, in terms of injury, in terms of preparation affect every single other person in the field. And so um, that is... I mean, I, I'm, I'm not a mathematician, but that would be quite a lot of variables if you multiply them all. So, yeah, they're, they're, it's never going to fall directly into place, um, but you just do the best that you can and um, have a have a plan in the, in the back of your head and and follow it to the amount that you can and then adapt. Yeah. All right. And what about the age groupers? Um, age group is slightly different because you're not reacting to other people around you, hopefully. Um, you, especially when they're doing kind of, um, uh, interval starts, it's very difficult to know who you're racing and who's in your age group and, and in this, that, and the other. So, um, I always, I always try to direct athletes to swim with other people if they're comfortable swimming with other people, because I think it helps pace and I think it helps, um, relaxation and you're not going to win an age group triathlon on the swim unless you're an incredible swimmer so uh, stick in your comfort zones and then um on the bike I always set power or RPE for the first 30 minutes and then forget about it um and stick with RPE because I don't want them looking at a power meter but it would be it's good to kind of calibrate at the beginning so that you don't go crazy um, have a nutrition plan. So both pros and age groupers, I would say, always have a nutrition plan in terms of when you're going to take calories in and where you're going to get them from. Um, that's something that I got better at in my um, long distance career, and it did heavily influence my results. And then um, on the run, it's about, for age groupers, it's about pace management, I think. So you're always trying to come back at the end of the race faster than that which you started and that's an individual plan so don't get carried away with other people um that would be my direction to age group athletes yeah how how do you um how do you get an idea or an estimate of what 
an age grouper might be able to do in terms of pacing on the run if they ask you what what do you think I can run for this half distance or, or for this full Ironman? Yeah, so I'll analyze the sessions that I've set and what they um, what they manage to maintain. Often with age groupers, it's less obvious than um, I've see, I see more variation in age groupers than professional athletes in terms of turning it on on the day. Um, the f- professional athletes often have the sessions behind them, and you can see that pace on race day. But occasionally, I, with my age groupers. Their race pace is absolutely far above anything that they've um, demonstrated in training. Um, but because they don't have the stress of life around them and they're rested and it's a race. So um, I I can get a fair, a fair idea in terms of pacing for the bike, in terms of power, in terms of the NP that you would look for for the, for the majority of the ride. And I'm usually quite quite accurate with that at the end of the race but in terms of running I I think they dictate how hard so I say okay you've got to run 21.1k so don't start off harder than 7 out of 10 RPE and then as you get as you loosen off as you as you feel differently then you make that call Um, and they they're experienced athletes in the majority and, and they make they definitely are not as fit as professional athletes and there might be might be some more slowing down but they usually do a really good job at it yeah no that's that's really good uh and uh yeah i definitely think that that's that's one thing that plays a big role if if you take time off take a few days off before a race then you'll have such a great, greater chance of being able to really perform on race day because the stress of work and everything is uh, is not really there the same way that it normally is in a in normal training week so so definitely a good point there um now just a few other questions uh around the training so what's your thought on strength and conditioning uh in within a triathlon training program um i definitely think strength and conditioning is an area to be explored particularly by professional athletes that have a lot of load and volume um so the strength and conditioning i've seen some really complex strength and conditioning programs both prescribed to me and prescribed to my athletes and i've seen some really simple ones too and i see no direct correlation as to um how much time you spend on strength and conditioning as to the you get less injuries i think that there's probably a couple of hours a week is enough and i think going over and above that there's not too much um benefit of that so i think if it's considered and it's not particularly progressional because some of the problems that i have with strength and conditioning coaching is that it's not well executed in terms of its progression training the principles of training are that it's progressional so any coach likes to progress their sessions but actually once you've hit the threshold of enough strength for to stop you getting injured for running or cycling or swimming then I think it becomes actually a negative thing that takes energy away from other types of training um so so when I see a strength and conditioning program that is getting harder and harder and harder every week to maintain, it kind of sets alarm bells to me 
if it's a steady state, constant maintenance, I think it's a great thing in a program. And actually, for age group athletes, as much as they can do it as well, because again, their time is limited and it's an aerobic sport, um, you would be employing a strength and conditioning program that would enable you to perform an aerobic um, program without getting injured. That would be the role of it for me. Mm. And uh, are you, do you, do you think that you can get most of your strength and conditioning done at home using just a few simple tools or do you like your athletes to do some some work in the gym or what, what's your thought on that yes i do i do think you can do it at home um however i think if you're used to having people showing you what to do and you find that easier that's it that's a good thing if you find the right person that's a good thing to do too to get a strength and conditioning coach to help you um even if just occasionally to check your form etc and to kind of tick the box that you're actually doing it um I think that's also useful. But if you're self-motivated to do it, if you don't hate it, which quite a number of my athletes are quite averse to doing strength and conditioning training, um, I think if, if you can do it yourself, I think it's an absolute, yeah, it, it just saves time. It You dictate it yourself and you can do it when you're not so tired in terms of stability, etc. So, yeah, that would be the ideal plan, but lots of people don't have the, the the drive to do it. So it would be best to employ someone to help you then. Yeah, yeah. What about nutrition? Uh, what? Well, first of all, I can ask you how how do you work? What 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 questions do your athletes have of you, or how do you help your athletes with nutrition? Because uh, at the end of the day, like we're triathlon coaches, but but there's also nutrition plays a big part in how athletes perform in training and in racing. So, um, yeah, what what are the things that you? How do you help your athletes with nutrition? So I definitely help them in terms of setting out a nutrition plan for training and um, racing. That that's simple. That's you taking this many carbs. Um, in terms of training, please eat something directly after training. If it's a hard session, if even if it's a glass of milk, I want you to do that. That's the first thing that I'm going to tell you to do. That sort of basic nutritional um, guidelines is something that I would employ for everyone. But then there's the other aspect of nutrition in terms of some, and I speak from a personal point of view here, a lot of my athletes, athletic career was influenced by poor nutrition um I had an eating disorder for a start and many female athletes in in particular have issues around eating and inconsistent eating and dieting and trying to limit body weight um for for obvious reasons but obvious but actually because they may carry societal things as well um they they just have issues it might be the reason why they got into the sport or it might be the reason why they want to train more etc etc so I have a really I like to create really honest atmospheres with all my athletes but particularly the female ones around eating and about eating disorders and about things that you actually think and aren't going to tell anyone tell me what you think and then I can try and um I can try and see through those conversations, I can try and see where someone's coming from, from my <laughs> unfortunately massive experience with eating problems um, that I can try and address. 
and I would I would address that problem as much as I can when I see it rearing up in, in the training feedback because yeah. it's massive into our sport and it's it's something that not that many people kind of I think because we don't have as many female coaches perhaps I think it's kind of something we push aside but um it's massive I mean Cal- if you listen to the Norwegian coaches and sports scientists intake of nutrition is kind of the the fundamental thing that they're attributing their success to right and and how much calories their athletes can burn and this is huge and I think if you're doing it wrong as I did my whole career and still succeeding then imagine what you can do if you do it right that's the way I would approach it um and yeah I I I think that Certainly with the athletes that I'm working with, we're, we're coming into a really good area in terms of how we differentiate between weight and how we differentiate, differentiate between performance and training. And I think that distinction is a helpful one. Yeah. I, I asked you earlier about what are, are there some early changes that you make in athletes' okay. programs, like trends that you see. And for me, if I were to answer that question, it, it definitely is that making making sure that they fuel more than they have been before because even athletes that do fuel their their workouts and and eat well uh or will make sure that their energy needs are met first first of all but also making sure that the timing is is good in terms of getting something in right after your your workouts as you mentioned uh, e- even even when athletes kind of tick the boxes there's usually quite a lot of improvements they can do by just fueling even more instead of getting in a couple of gels per hour when you have a long bike ride yeah like go up to 90 grams per hour and and you will find that you perform better and you perform better the next day in particular when you so so for me that's a very easy win to get early on with an athlete yeah to try to encourage more more fueling and actually a lot of it it doesn't come stem from eating problems or calorie being scared of calories it actually stems from being completely disorganized and not really thinking about it because they've got hectic lifestyles so yeah that's an easy yeah. one yeah and there there's also i mean there are trends the whole fasted training trend and uh low carb training trend they have been kind of ongoing and and part of that stems from scientific research and just studies that came and then people jumped on it even when there maybe wasn't anything in terms of performance benefits proven but but people people do like to see exciting new things and and try new things but but I think that that also caused uh, contributed to some issues that we already have in in endurance sports in general in terms of weight being a massive determining factor and uh, of performance which quite quite often athletes might actually be a too low a body weight for them to perform optimally yeah and i think that people um when they see um new pieces of research or something that someone else is doing um you know a low carb diet etc cetera, etc cetera, and it's working i think then Sometimes they'll jump on that bandwagon or that train of thought when they actually don't have all the information about what that athlete might be doing at other times or um, or why this research isn't actually relevant to exactly um, you. So it's really quite dangerous to have a tiny bit of knowledge and not all the knowledge. I'd rather an athlete in some ways had less knowledge um, but but was all encompassing when they wanted to find something out. But yeah, it's, it's difficult because um, 
everyone's looking for clues, aren't they? And um, a quick clue is faster speed and, and, and it, it, you know, it's, it's difficult to manage sometimes. But, um, yeah, it's possible with just clear guidelines and, 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 just, and just detecting it early, I think. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned there um, also how it might relate to there being few female coaches in triathlon. And, and I think that's true in endurance sports in general. Um, can you talk about that? First of all, why, why do you think that is? And secondly, what can be done to change that? Um, as I came, when I was new to coaching, I didn't really consider it. I, I just thought that maybe women didn't really want to get into it. Um, but having encountered a few issues um, in, in my coaching from being a woman, or not actually issues, but feelings and um atmospheres and sort of suddenly looking around poolside and realizing that you are the only female and you think about things slightly different to other people um I think that that probably is a systemic problem with coaching in any sport that there are less females that both compete and coach um so it's kind of like a a symbiotic relationship I I one of the problems that I, I've had in coaching is that they've asked for quite a lot of, so I, I want to coach development athletes in time. Um, and to do that, they've asked for quite a lot of volunteering time to coach, which would be absolutely fine if I didn't have kids. Um, and I take on the role of, as a mother because um, my husband works full time. So I think that there's, those logistical issues with coaching but then there's also the atmosphere so um if women have taken time out for maternity leave or have taken time out of the sport or and then are coming back to it I think that sometimes um the coaching circles become quite closed um and they sort of stick within their own pool of knowledge um so someone new coming in with different perspectives or maybe different ways they approach things um, or just generally just being a woman um, is not that that welcoming. So you turn yourself to something else that is welcoming, I think. Um, I don't think it's all atmospheres and there's certainly some amazing female coaches that I've had, but it has been in the latter period of my career and um, that might be because it's getting better, I think. Mm. do you think there's a difference between long distance triathlon and short distance triathlon because long distance is less influenced by uh the politics of federations and uh and so on but but you still see very few female coaches there so so even if that is an issue then there's something else that causes that discrepancy in in um and the the some something something is an issue that holds back the um what the number of female coaches simply participating in in triathlon i absolutely think that there is a difference between coaching um as a self-employed coach as to a federation coach yes definitely there's definitely a factor that males dominate that arena um in most federations so um either you're a pioneer woman and you want to take that position or you just get on with your own thing um, so that's definitely a thing of federation-based coaching. In terms of um, in terms of personal coaching, I just think that 
I think the um the influence of family of 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 so so elite athletes often want to coach after their careers but they take time out to have kids and look after the kids and I think that the imposter syndrome is a real thing um when you come back um especially for with women and I don't know why that is particularly with women but I I expect that it's because you're coming back to a masculine based um arena and therefore you feel a bit awkward anyway um so yeah it's not something that you really can really understand until you experience it yourself and so I it's the only time I've spoken about it is now because I think you can as a woman you can succeed in whatever you want to do and and you can push it and you can make sure that it works but less people are going to do it if it's really hard I think and um and then you get this kind of snowball effect where it it just looks like women aren't interested in coaching where whereas women actually bring something very different to coaching quite a lot of the time and um just because it isn't kind of acknowledged by the male arena it doesn't mean that it's not significant um you look at people like Siri Lindley and Julie Dibbons they're absolute pioneers of women coaching and have had real true success um with both men and and um female athletes so um there's absolutely nothing to say that a female coach can't bring just as much in different ways to a male yeah no absolutely and do you have any thoughts on are there any sort of immediate steps or near or mid term future things that could be done to improve the situation i'm not really i i, I don't think so i think that um there are guidelines in terms of how how many female employees should be in a federation um as opposed to the males but i'm not sure if that's across the board in terms of every country and that would be a good start because i think if you're getting people trained up in federation based um arenas then those people can then then teach um in federation based arenas and then they become qualified coaches if that's what you're looking for Um, I've recently done a, a British Triathlon um, qualification course, and there were lots of females there. But interestingly enough, it was on um, on the internet because of COVID, and they spoke less. So yeah, I, I think that there's this just general societal thing that um, sport is a, a male-dominated arena, um, even in triathlon, where you know we, we're in this unique position where women are absolutely truly rallied in the sport in terms of the competition in terms of prize money in terms of sponsorship but it just hasn't filtered through just yet and we are a new sport and I think it it's just going to take time and a bit of attention to um to see that it is becoming an issue yeah yeah do you think that there's um just a here in Portugal when 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 you go to a race like a race that federation puts up a sprint or olympic distance race there's probably 75 to 80 percent of the participants that are uh boys or male uh across the kind of adult and uh junior and and children's ranks youth ranks so so here i definitely see that there is a even from the very early age where people first get into the sport and uh, as participants 
there is a big difference and that i can see that filtering through to also then later coaching uh, of course but i don't know in in I've, i expect that in the uk the discrepancy there is less in terms of participation at least than it's here perhaps but do you think that that can have a play a role yeah definitely i think i saw a figure um um recently that 85% of girls drop out of sport um at, in their late teenage years drop out of um competitive sport in their late teen, teenage years um and that's a societal problem across all sports um and there's many reasons why um it might be because they feel uncomfortable um training alongside boys that changes in physicality um they don't understand the menstrual cycle and how it influences training and they just can't be bothered with it there's so many things that um could influence that and and aren't can't as easily be addressed by a male coach as a female and then therefore you get the feedback loop because if there was a female coach helping with that then that would stop the dropout early on in school and that dropout would be less and therefore um, there would be more people that would go on to endurance sport as a way of life. So it's like, it's yeah. not just triathlon. It, it's it's definitely the way we educate girls in sport. Um, and there are initiatives to try and change that. Um, but it's, it's going to take time and it's going to take male coaches to embrace it too. Yeah. Uh, I have one final question before the rapid fire question. And that's uh, what's one thing within coaching or triathlon that you're currently learning about uh, or fascinated by and why um so much um because there's just so much development and just yeah lots of discussion um i'm quite fascinated by the norwegian program i'm I'm quite fascinated about um the girls role in that um why we we see the predominant men succeeding and not the females in that pro- in that program and, and where it's going to go from now and how it's influenced absolutely every other federation in the world um, and how that plays out. I'm quite fascinated in that. Yeah, no, that, that's a good one. And I totally agree with you there. Uh, and uh, let's get into the rapid fire questions. So take one sentence to answer each of these. And the first one is, what's your favorite a book or resource related to triathlon? Um don't really read that many because I didn't read that many as athlete because I tried to like limit my views but I was told to buy healthy intelligent training by a coach called Chris Jones in my younger younger years um it it sort of explains the Lydiard methods of training which actually aren't that displaced from some of the current um fads of training um so yeah I, I like to look back at stuff like that and remind myself of of, of other people's principles of training yeah. And what's an important habit that you've benefited from athletically, professionally, or personally? Um, athletically, personally, definitely is pers- perseverance. That um, There's always setbacks, but if you persevere, you'll get there in the end or, or, or get near there in the end. And that's the most important thing. Mm. And uh, finally, who's somebody that you look up to or that has inspired you? Um, oh... I don't, it's hard for me to have idols because <laughs> most of the people in triathlon um, I know too well to kind of idolize. But there's many, um, many people in women, particularly in 
in triathlon that I looked up to and just think what they do is amazing. I think Flora Duffy, I will, I will, um, as a friend, I will, or Nicola Sprigg, either one of them, amazing women. Yeah. Uh, that those are both great calls. Uh, I think Nicola Spirig with her having three kids is something yeah. absolutely extraordinary. But I think with Nicola Spirig, it's more that she's just a really nice person as well. Um, she's an incredible athlete and with lots going on, but she'll still answer a kind text message on your birthday. Um, so yeah, that those sort of things that she's kept the absolute niceness about her character. Yeah. Uh, great. And finally, where can people f- follow you? Are, are you active on social media, uh, websites and so on? I'm not really. <laughs> not that active on social media um, with time limitations, but I am on Instagram um, at Jodie Swallow Coaching. Um, and yeah, they can get in contact with me that if they want to do that um, or follow my hectic life in pictures. Yeah, uh, and I'll, I'll put the link to that and to your website as well. You have a, your coaching coaching website, so I'll put that in the show notes for listeners. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Jody. It's been uh, great to talk to you. Uh, thank you for all the information you shared and uh, look forward to talking another time. Thank you. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. In the show notes and the episode description on your podcast app, as always, you can find links to Jody's website and her Instagram. Next week's guest on the podcast is uh, Dr. Andy King, and we will talk about the science of hydrogels in endurance sports. So hydrogels includes products such as Morton and uh, SIS uh, Beta Fuel, uh, which have become really popular in recent years. And we'll talk about how they work, do they work, are they worth it, and, and so on. If you want to improve your triathlon performance and want help to achieve your goals, then consider working with a scientific triathlon coach or training plan. Whether you're just getting into triathlon or you're trying to qualify for a world championship event or even want to race professionally, we have experience in all of those scenarios and would love to discuss further around if and how we can help you on your triathlon journey. Find out more and contact us on scientifictriathlon.com and we can discuss your specific goals and needs and see what's best for you. Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration, that you can find on precisionfuelandhydration.com. Use their free online sweat test and quick carb calculator to understand your fluid, electrolyte, and carbohydrate needs and individualize your plan. And book a free video consultation with the team to refine your strategy. Use the code TTS22 at checkout for 15% off your first order of fueling and hydration products. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, and exceptional sunglasses and prescription glasses for everything from day-to-day wear to extreme action sports. Use the promo code that you can get on roka.com for slash TTS to get 20% off your entire Roka order. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving craft.